This is Maine Currents Independent Local News, Views, and Culture. I'm your host, Amy Brown. We're continuing our series on hate groups this month with a talk by Mark Potok, sponsored by the Maine Jewish Film Festival, the Jewish Community Alliance, the Maine Jewish Museum, and the Holocaust and Human Rights Center of Maine. Mark Potok is an internationally renowned expert on the American radical right, who for 20 years helped lead the Southern Poverty Law Center in exposing hate groups, right-wing terrorism, and the rapidly increasing infiltration of extremist ideas into the political mainstream. In 2018, a year after leaving the Southern Poverty Law Center, he joined the Center for Analysis of the Radical Right as a senior fellow. He was featured in the award-winning 2018 film, Alt-Right, Days of Rage. In October, he spoke about hate groups in the U.S. and the current political climate. Barbara Merson, executive director of the Maine Jewish Film Festival, was the moderator. I would like to welcome you. I'm Barbara Merson, the executive director of the Maine Jewish Film Festival. On behalf of the board and staff of the festival, I wanna welcome you to this very special program. I would like to thank our foundation, business, and individual sponsors for making this program, and in fact, all of our programs possible. I would like to also thank our partners in this event, the Jewish Community Alliance and the Maine Holocaust and Human Rights Center. We really appreciate everything that you do for us and also for the Maine community. Just a few brief announcements from, from me before we get to our main event. The first virtual Maine Jewish Film Festival will be coming from November 7th through the 22nd. Um, through films and discussions, we will be focusing on issues that matter to us all, like the one we're gonna be discussing tonight. Um, and we also will be having some fun along the way. Information and tickets will be available starting October 15th at www.mjff.org. So when we had to cancel our in-person festival back in March, one of the programs we were most upset about missing was our showing of alt-right Days of Rage and the discussion with Mark Potok. Well, it turns out that this program could not be more timely now and we are thrilled to be able to have this discussion with Mark tonight. I want to thank him for being willing to do this and also thank our panelists, um, David Greenham of the Holocaust and Human Rights Center of Maine and APEC of the University of Maine. I will now turn the program over to Barbara Shaw, Chair of the Community Relations Council, who will introduce Mark. Thank you, Barbara. Mark Potok is a former senior fellow at the Southern Poverty Law Center and is featured in the movie Alt-Right, Age of Rage. He served as the editor-in-chief of the SPLC's award-winning quarterly journal, The Intelligence Report. A graduate of the University of Chicago, Mark has appeared on numerous television news programs and is quoted regularly by journalists and scholars in both the United States and abroad. In addition, he has testified before the US Senate, the United Nations High Commission on Human Rights and in other venues. Before joining the SPLC staff in 1997, 
Mark spent 20 years as an award-winning journalist at major newspapers, including USA Today, the Dallas Times Herald, and the Miami Herald. While at USA Today, he covered the 1993 Waco siege, the rise of militias, the 1995 Oklahoma City bombing, and the trial of Timothy McVeigh. We are delighted and honored to welcome Mark Potok to Maine tonight and to join us in this, in this presentation. One more little comment from me. I was remiss and did not mention the Maine Jewish Museum as another one of our, our partners for tonight. I do apologize. So please know that, that they, along with the JCA and the Holocaust and Human Rights Center, um, have been instrumental in making this happen. Mark, please. Well, thank you all for having me. Thanks in particular to the Maine Jewish Film Festival, to the panelists uh, and the various sponsors. I, I'm really grateful for this opportunity. Uh, you know, as Barbara said, I think it's obviously uh, incredibly topical at this moment. Uh, I realize that we're in a slightly odd format in the sense that all of you may not have seen the film. Uh, and I hope that uh, those of you who didn't uh, will see it. I think it's worth, uh, worth watching. I think it's got some interesting points. It's uh, just for anyone who didn't see it. Uh, it's very specifically about the role of Richard Spencer uh, and a kind of uh, Antifa light activist named Daryl Lamont Jenkins. Uh, and the events uh, in Charlottesville, Virginia, the Unite the Right rally. So that's what it's all about. It shows a lot of uh, violence, a lot of conflict, uh, and there are a lot of interviews uh, with people, including myself. Uh, I do hope for those of you who saw it uh, that you liked the film. I, I thought the film was important for a number of reasons. One, I think that it showed uh, that this was a real movement. This is not uh, something superf superfluous to society at all. This is really uh, bubbled up uh, in a very organic way. I think one of the remarkable things uh, about Charlottesville uh, was how many people appeared there uh, on the right, on the far right, uh, who had never been seen before, who were not really members of a movement, who weren't members of hate groups, uh, hadn't really been particularly posting before. In other words, there were a lot of young people who were new uh, to white supremacy, neo-Nazism, white nationalism, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, it really reflects, uh, reflected uh, the emergence uh, of this movement as, a, as a, almost a mass movement. Uh, I think another uh, thing that the film showed very clearly was the very high degree to which anti-Semitism is really at the core uh, of the radical right uh, or the particular kind of uh, expression of it that's uh, known as the alt-right. Uh, and I think it shows very clearly, a third point, uh, how much violence uh, is produced by these groups, by these ideas, by these confrontations. Uh, you know, making the film uh, all the more relevant, obviously, uh, is what has happened recently on the national scene. Uh, and in particular, uh, President Trump's, uh, in my opinion, virtual endorsement uh, of white nationalism at the September 29th debate, the first debate uh, with Joe Biden, in which uh, the president was asked to condemn uh, white supremacy in general and the Proud Boys in particular, uh, a racist gang. And his response was, stand back and stand by, which sounded very much as if uh, Trump were positioning himself uh, as the commander of the Proud Boys, telling them to stand by, stand back, wait to see what happens with the election. Uh, perhaps they would be needed. Uh, 
certainly that was the way it sounded uh, to many of us. Uh, you know, Trump, uh, and I'll return to, to Donald Trump and his role in all of this, uh, but I think that it's fair uh, to point out, even at this beginning uh, moment, uh, you know, that he has in many different senses endorsed violence against minorities uh, and political enemies in this country. Uh, he has uh, pushed the ideas of eugenics, uh, the so-called quote-unquote science uh, of be breeding a better human race uh, by not allowing certain people to procreate, uh, and so on. And these are incredibly dangerous things. But uh, as I say, I'll return to that. Uh, I think the film leaves us with some pretty immediate questions. Uh, one of them is what has become of Richard Spencer? Uh, Spencer takes up an awful lot of space in this film. Uh, and for anyone who didn't see it, Richard Spencer uh, is the man who uh, he spoke, uh, was a, a leader uh, in Charlottesville. He is also the person who held a conference uh, immediately after uh, Trump's election, just a few days later, uh, in the Ronald Reagan building, a five-minute walk from the White House, uh, in which he gave a kind of rip-roaring speech, uh, which ended with the words, you know, hail victory, uh, hail Trump. Hail victory, of course, is the English translation of Sieg Heil, uh, and uh, Spencer was met with the stiff-armed uh, Sieg Heil Nazi salute uh, by much of his crowd. Uh, when we think back to Charlottesville, and you see some of this in the film, uh, you know, in case anyone's wondering, was he really a Nazi? Is that overstating what Richard Spencer is? You know, the slogans were Blut und Boten, uh, Blood and Soil, uh, Hail Victory, Sieg Heil, Jews Will Not Replace Us. Uh, Spencer has spoken about Europe uh, as being a white racial empire. That's what he would like to see. Uh, he does not believe that Jews are white. Jews can't live in quote-unquote white society. Uh, he was caught, uh, Spencer was, in a rant uh, after Charlottesville. Someone secretly taped him going on about little effing, not his word, uh, kikes uh, and effing octoroons, uh, people who are, you know, uh, I guess not white and not black. Uh, he's all for abortion for non-white people, but not for whites. Uh, he doesn't believe in women having the right to vote, uh, and so on. Uh, you know, Richard, Richard Spencer may or may not be what Mother Jones, in a kind of too clever by half article, uh, described him as, the dapper white nationalist. Uh, but I think it is indisputable uh, that he is a loathsome human being. Uh, Milo Yiannopoulos, is, who is himself uh, a well-known member of the alt-right, uh, although uh, sometimes calls himself alt-light to say he's a little uh, towards the center uh, from people like Spencer, described Spencer with some very real justification as a knuckle-dragging racist in a cheap suit. Not a bad description. Spencer claims to be for peaceful ethnic cleansing, uh, as he has said on repeated occasions. Uh, you know, I would just point out uh, that ethnic cleansing is not something that can be accomplished peacefully in any situation, uh, leastwise uh, in the United States. Uh, you know, if what Spencer and his friends would like uh, to happen actually occurred, 132 million non-white people, Americans, uh, born in America would have to be expelled, deported, or murdered. Uh, you know, so what I'm trying to say is that Spencer, his followers, and he personally are violent. Uh, they explicitly endorse violence. Uh, you know, just a couple of months after the events in Charlottesville in August of 2017, three of Spencer's uh, followers 
uh, attended a speech of his at the University of Florida Gainesville uh, and shot uh, at people who had come to protest the speech. They didn't manage to kill anyone, but two of them, these two men were charged with attempted homicide. More personally to Spencer and to tell you a little bit about what's happened uh, with Spencer since the making of this documentary, in October of 2019, uh, he was involved in a divorce, which is still going on with his wife, uh, in which she filed a set of remarkable accusations. Uh, Spencer reportedly dragged his wife down the stairs by the hair, uh, bruising her, beating her up badly, uh, shoved her when she was almost nine months pregnant uh, into a stove violently, woke her up screaming at one point uh, that she should kill herself, uh, and you know this. A lot of this is backed up by uh, real evidence. Uh, reporters were shown uh, by Spencer's wife uh, texts that he sent to her. Uh, "Quote: I hope you kill yourself." "Quote: Suicide seems to be your best option." "Quote: I will break your effing nose." Uh, you know there are tapes of uh, him screaming at her in front of their two children. Uh, the other things that, so, you know, the point is uh, Richard Spencer is not a nice fellow. So, you know, in this film, uh, he postures as, a, you know, a real life intellectual of the radical right. He's going to be the great thinker uh, of the movement. But, the, you know, this is the kind of man he really is. Uh, as in the immediate aftermath of the film, Spencer uh, tried to make a real tour uh, of colleges, uh, playing on the idea that colleges would have to let him speak. Uh, in particular, uh, public colleges, non-private colleges, uh, under the doctrine of free speech. And, you know, this, in, in doing this, he was following uh, a man he uh, really has worshipped for most of his life, George Lincoln Rockwell, uh, the founder of the American Nazi Party, which was the major, the first really major uh, post-war fascist group in this country. It was active from about 1959 to 1967. Spencer also used the universities in this way, made a grand tour, and got a lot of attention uh, in that way. But uh, after uh, not much time at all, Spencer quit the college circuit. He said it was no fun anymore. He was tired of uh, being confronted by enormous crowds uh, of protesters. Uh, at the same time, the organization he had, a little outfit called the National Policy Institute, uh, has uh, gone belly up. I mean, it, it doesn't function at all anymore. Uh, two of his allies at the National Policy Institute have quit. Uh, Spencer himself has been personally banned from all 26 Schengen countries, uh, 26 countries uh, in the European Union. Uh, he has been uh, accused in a suit. He is uh, named as a defendant in a suit, uh, accusing him of inciting the murder of Heather Heyer. Uh, Heather Heyer, of course, being the woman uh, who was killed by a neo-Nazi plowing into a crowd of people with his car at Charlottesville. Uh, the suit describes uh, Spencer as the gang boss uh, and claims uh, or alleges that he was is civilly responsible uh, for what happened there. Uh, you know, I, I'd just say, uh, you know, at certain points in the film, Spencer comes, uh, when I say Spencer, you know, after all his hot talk and, uh, you know, wanting to beat up the opposition and so on, ultimately is, is a kind of a coward and a wannabe. There's a kind of remarkable film and uh, scene in the film uh, in which he and his security uh, team are kind of running to a set of big black SUVs, you know, as if they were, uh, you know, special forces agents or something. He's, he's a ridiculous character. 
Uh, and uh, finally, about him, uh, you know, he's a deadbeat. Uh, in June of this year, uh, his attorney uh, in the Charlottesville suit uh, was allowed by a judge to withdraw from his case uh, because uh, Spencer refused to pay him any of the money that he owed him. Uh, along the same lines, in May of this year, a judge in Montana, the judge who was presiding over his divorce case, uh, held him in contempt because he had failed to pay what had at that point become, reached $60,000 uh, in child support payments that were supposed to go to an ad litem, a lawyer in the case, uh, on behalf of the family. You know, I want to talk also, uh, well, let me say a couple brief things about other characters uh, who appear in the film. Uh, one person who is not named, but who appears at the height of the conflict uh, is a, a kind of guy with very long blonde hair, a beard, kind of a tough looking character. Uh, and I mention him because he's emblematic of the kinds of people who were there. This was not someone who was new to the movement. Uh, this was a guy who was a Green Beret demolitions expert named Michael Tubbs. Tubbs uh, in the late 19, 1999, in fact, was arrested based on the fact that he and another Green Beret had held up uh, fellow officers at gunpoint, uh, at the point of a semi-automatic weapon. They were wearing disguises, said this is for the KKK, uh, and stolen uh, a whole huge uh, amount of um, weaponry, which were later found in, in secret catches uh, by the police, uh, along with a uh, manifesto and a list of targets, black and Jewish targets of various kinds. Uh, you know, he had a, a huge catch of grenades and C4 explosives uh, and uh, all kinds of weaponry. Uh, another person uh, who appears in the movie is a man named Richard Wilson Preston Jr. He's not named in the film, but if you saw it, uh, you saw a kind of tough looking character open fire at one point uh, on the protesters. Uh, that was this man, Richard Preston. Uh, it's maybe worth knowing he is the imperial wizard of the Confederate Knights of the Ku Klux Klan. You don't hear it in the film, but right before he starts shooting, he yells, hey, N-word, uh, at the person he's aiming his pistol at. Uh, he is now serving uh, an eight-year sentence in that case. Uh, finally, I thought it was worth mentioning, the film opens uh, with Fritz Kuhn, who was the uh, leader of the German-American Bund. Uh, in the 1930s leading up to World War II. And, you know, he gives a, a vicious little speech uh, at Madison Square Garden, which is shown in the film. But what happened afterwards is interesting. He ultimately, in 1943, was thrown into prison in the United States. Uh, and then after the war, was deported to Germany, uh, where ultimately he was tried by the Germans as part of the denazification program, uh, spent a couple of years in prison there, and then died in obscurity. So those are some of the characters uh, who we see in this film. Uh, I want to turn to just what the alt-right is. The name of the film uh, it is the alt-right, uh, Days of Rage. Uh, the alt-right, in many ways, I say in the film, is essentially just a kind of rebranding uh, of the same white supremacy we've seen for many years. However, there are a few uh, kind of distinctive features. Uh, one is that uh, unlike uh, all sectors of the radical right in the United States, uh, anti-Semitism is really right smack at the core uh, of the alt-right. It is also much more explicitly than other parts of the radical right, misogynistic. It is uh, very anti-woman, really uh, down on women. Uh, it's also very uh, youth-oriented. 
very hip to social media, very into using social media and memes and so on, uh, and explicitly uh, violent. Uh, and there's quite a lot of evidence uh, of that. Uh, just to give one example, there's a group called The Base uh, in uh, early this year, early 2020, uh, which actually uh, some seven members of which intended to go to a particular large gun rights rally, a uh, right-wing rally in Richmond, Virginia. And their idea was they were going to go there and start murdering police officers uh, and others uh, not because they were opposed to the police. The people they really wanted to kill were people on the left, uh, but their idea was this would start a war. This would ultimately lead to the race war, which they all fervently uh, wish for. You're listening to Maine Currents on WERU-FM. This is Mark Potok of the Center for Analysis of the Radical Right, formerly of the Southern Poverty Law Center, and also featured in the film Alt-Right Days of Rage, speaking in October. Uh, as I said, Spencer's, uh, or suggested really, Spencer uh, is really not important at all anymore, although he's uh, portrayed as a big man in this film. Uh, and that in part is because of Spencer himself. He just didn't have the get up and go uh, to really keep pushing. Uh, he wasn't worshipped quite the same way he was at the time of Charlottesville. And perhaps more importantly, because the, the movement, if you want to describe it that way, the radical right in the United States, uh, is much less than in the past dominated by groups. Uh, 20 years ago, this is a movement that was really uh, run, if, if you could describe it that way, or was dominated by very large groups, neo-Nazi groups, Klan groups, and others. And that's just not so anymore. What we see is vastly more lone wolves, people operating on their own uh, to carry out terrorist attacks and similar things, uh, or in the very small cells, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, a point I'd like to make about the, the radical right, the rise of the radical right in the United States, uh, is that this is a real movement. This is a movement that is based on real social, socioeconomic uh, developments and so on uh, in this country and in Europe as well, which uh, is also struggling with some of the very same things we are here. You know, you will hear frequently on Fox and sometimes from uh, the lips of President Trump and other politicians, the idea that you know, all of these people who murder uh, other people who, uh, you know, kill people in synagogues and black churches and so on and, and seek temples and what have you, uh, you know, what's really driving it, according to people on the political right, uh, is mental illness or the algorithms that Facebook uses or drugs or watching too many violent videos or their mommy wasn't nice to them when they were little kids. Uh, or as the Trump administration at one point claimed, uh, you know, they're not all eco-terrorists. Uh, this is something the Trump administration claimed about the massacre of 50 Muslims uh, in Christchurch, New Zealand uh, in 2019. Uh, you know, these are, these are bogus ideas and, you know, and there's some tiny bit of truth to some of them. Yes, there certainly are some people who are mentally ill in the movement, uh, but that is not what it's about. Uh, the movement, as I say, is, is uh, very large. It's spreading. Uh, you know, we see its ideas uh, being essentially brought uh, into government in places like Hungary, Poland, Belarus, uh, until recently Greece, South America, India. Uh, you know, there is a, quite a global movement uh, associated with the radical right. And, you know, I'd like to say briefly that that is uh, a response to, as I say, things that are really happening out there. Uh, I think of three things, principally all of them related to globalization. 
the changing demographics uh, of these countries, the idea in the United States, uh, a country which has been 90% white for almost all of its post-colonial history, uh, the change that is coming where uh, uh, we are about to see a loss of a white majority. In other words, whites are about to fall next 25 years below 50% of this population. They will become uh, just one more minority in America. America will no longer be uh, numerically dominated by non-Hispanic whites. So that's caused an enormous amount of angst uh, and fury among certain people, among large numbers of whites who, you know, this is not the country I grew up in. Uh, this is not the country my white or my European forefathers created for white people and so on. Uh, at the same time, globalization has created a lot of economic hardship. Uh, you don't hear about this all that often in the mainstream press, but, you know, ask someone who works in the steel industry, uh, in the auto industry, in the textile industry. Uh, you know, these are our sectors of our economy that are hurting terribly. Uh, and of course, these are uh, areas in which many, many workers uh, who voted for Obama uh, back during Obama's two elections, uh, who switched their votes to Trump. So, you know, there's a lot of anger coming out of that part of the world. And thirdly, uh, enormous cultural changes wrought in part by globalization. And to me, the best single example of that is the idea that same-sex marriage is now legal in 50 states. You know, I think that's a good thing, but the reality is, is that 15 years ago, uh, I don't think any of us believed uh, that that was in the cards. So that's a huge change. So, you know, this is a backlash, this movement. It is an angry backlash at the way uh, America and Europe uh, are developing, the way this country is changing. At the same time, uh, as the movement has become more and more of a mass movement and more and more angry, more and more uh, uh, aided and abetted by rhetoric from people like Donald Trump, uh, we have seen white, uh, white supremacist terrorism uh, really uh, on the rise. Uh, the Anti-Defamation League did a study not too long ago showing that 71% of killings by extremists of all sorts uh, in the U.S. between 2008 and 2017 were by right-wing extremists. Uh, the Center for Strategic and International Studies did another study, found that five or fewer, there were five or fewer right-wing extremist attacks between 2007 and 2011. That jumped to 14 in 2012 and was 31 by 2017. Um, the FBI uh, has recently uh, described uh, white supremacy as the main threat uh, facing the United States in terms of domestic terrorism. Uh, the Department of Homeland Security, uh, just a very little while ago, said it was the most persistent and lethal threat uh, in the United States in the last couple of years. Uh, you know, so, so it's a movement. It's a real movement out there that is happening, that's growing, and that presents immediate and very um, real dangers, dangers to body, uh, to life and limb. Uh, you know, what has changed uh, in the last three or four years is that this movement, which was once uh, very much on the fringes of sort of polite society, uh, has gained access to power in a way that it has not seen uh, for at least the last 50 years and probably more like 100. Uh, you know, Stephen Miller, uh, who is President Trump's uh, main advisor on immigration, the architect of the children in cages policy, uh, has been shown very clearly, uh, in particular by a, a catch of, uh, of leaked emails uh, that he wrote, to be a, a man really deeply involved in the white supremacist scene. Uh, 
Stephen Bannon, who was uh, at the beginning of Trump's uh, administration, Trump's senior advisor. He's the main advisor uh, and, and formerly the uh, leader of Breitbart News. And he's also a committed white nationalist. It's not just his advisors, though. I mean, Trump himself has been, I think, uh, clearly, without question, amplifying the rhetoric of this movement uh, and also uh, suggesting in a whole variety of ways that violence is A-OK, -okay, uh, in particular violence uh, against his various enemies, minority groups, the Antifa left, Democratic-run cities, and so on. Uh, let's remember uh, that his campaign was, in effect, openly racist. Uh, you know, it was all about Mexican rapists uh, and that kind of thing, and, and scary Muslims. Uh, let's remember that during his rallies, he literally encouraged uh, his followers to attack black protesters uh, and at one point offered to pay the legal defense costs of the, all these protesters if they got in trouble uh, for that violence. He literally called for uh, expanding police brutality in the sense of the police should not be so you know, nice to those guys they're arresting. And it goes on and on. I mean, I think Trump has clearly uh, done his best to turn the military, much to the dismay of military commanders, uh, into a political tool uh, to attack his uh, enemies with, whether that means sending uh, troops or other federal forces uh, to Democratic-run cities uh, with BLM protests like Portland, uh, Kenosha, and so on, uh, or clearing Lafayette Park out so he can have a photo opportunity, you know, holding a Bible in the air. Uh, you, you know, this is a man who has described uh, Black Lives Movement uh, Matter protesters as terrorists, which is, you know, patently untrue. Uh, he also describes the Antifa as, you know, a terrorist organization, which it's not. It's not an organization. Uh, it is simply an idea. Uh, and, but in any case, that, that's, that's a fact. And, you know, I might note parenthetically that uh, Daryl Lamont Jenkins, the Antifa activist uh, featured uh, in this film that we're discussing, is no terrorist. And that's perfectly obvious when you see him in the film. You know, he's into to resisting and into demonstrating and, uh, you know, doing that actively, but he doesn't blow up buildings uh, or murder people. It's simply not true. Trump also, uh, more recently, uh, has been talking up the so-called racehorse theory of genes. Uh, that uh, the idea being basically, if you want to have a great racehorse, you need a great racehorse mommy and a great racehorse daddy, and that will produce a great racehorse kid. Uh, and, you know, and then this is applied to humans to say, you know, if you want really smart humans, uh, the way you do it is have really smart parents. Uh, and this is, I'm sure, you know, all of you have heard uh, Trump say things like this. You know, my father was a genius. My uncle was a genius. That's why I'm so smart. I don't need to go to medical school. I understand medicine because, you know, my uncle taught at MIT, that kind of thing. Um, it is worth uh, remembering that this racehorse theory uh, turned into eugenics, the explicit science of breeding a better human race. Uh, and the United States had a pretty awful role. Uh, in the eugenics movement uh, in the 1920s and 30s. Uh, it's worth knowing, if you don't, that 32 states in this country, in our country, passed laws that allowed the involuntary sterilization uh, of women who were deemed to be somehow less desirable. Uh, perhaps they had a physical defect, perhaps they had a mental illness, uh, perhaps it was something else, perhaps they were just the wrong color. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, that resulted in 65,000 Americans over the years being sterilized 
by our government. Uh, and let's remember, you know, Donald Trump uh, repeated some of these ideas uh, in effect when he went, went on about how what we want in this country is Norwegian immigrants, not Haitians, not Africans. The latest, obviously, uh, is Donald Trump's uh, defense of the Proud Boys. Uh, you know, at first he said, as I said earlier, you know, stand back and stand by, uh, boys. Uh, you know, I may need you quite soon. A few days later, under immense national criticism, he claimed to not know uh, who the Proud Boys were. Well, I mean, let me say that that is uh, ridiculous. He knows perfectly well who they are. Uh, and I should point out that he also said the same thing about David Duke uh, during his campaign when he was announced to he was asked to denounce David Duke, the uh, longtime Klan leader. Uh, he said he didn't know who David Duke was, and that's false. Uh, Donald Trump uh, considered a run for president in 2000 uh, on the ticket of the Reform Party and dropped out at the last minute because, as he said explicitly, David Duke is a Klan leader, and Pat Buchanan, the other person, another person who was involved in the Reform Party, was a quote-unquote neo-Nazi, according to Donald Trump. So what I'm saying is that He's not telling the truth when he says he doesn't know what these groups are. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about the Proud Boys. It was Jason Kessler, a member of the Proud Boys, uh, the group that Donald Trump wants to stand back and stand by, who organized the Unite the Right rally uh, in Charlottesville that is the subject of this film. Uh, Kessler is now being sued, uh, just like Spencer is himself, uh, over the events there. Uh, another Proud Boy, uh, was convicted in the assault that's seen in the film and many people saw on the news when it happened uh, of a black man named DeAndre Harris uh, in a parking garage, an incredibly brutal assault uh, by a large number of people. But uh, one of the Proud Boys uh, was you know, the main man in the attack. Uh, the Proud Boys describe themselves as Western chauvinists, quote unquote, but they are really explicitly pro-violence white supremacists. Uh, they've been described by federal authorities as a dangerous white supremacist group. Uh, early uh, last year in 2019, one of them threatened the mayor of Portland, said, your, your, quote, your days are effing numbered. I'm coming for you, you little punk, unquote. Uh, another couple of Proud Boys members were, uh, went to prison over their assault of uh, so-called anti-fi activists in New York. And the list goes on. Uh, you know, finally, I would just point out when Donald Trump says he knows nothing about the Proud Boys uh, and therefore, you know, how can he be asked to denounce them, that the leader, the current leader of the Proud Boys, the chairman of this organization is a man named Enrique Tario, and he is the state director in Florida of Latinos for Trump. At this point, uh, in my opinion, uh, Trump is in effect uh, promoting uh, or suggesting uh, the very real possibility of civil war, right? I mean, I think that is what is really being said uh, when he warns of violence if he loses the election, when he refuses to commit uh, to a peaceful transfer of power. Um, so, you know, he has talked before about Second Amendment solutions uh, to the left and so on, and, and that's uh, essentially a comment along the same lines. Uh, you know, and I, I think it's worth sh uh, saying that you know, there are large people on the large numbers of people, groups and individuals on the right, aside from Trump, uh, who have the same idea. There are many people on the Christian right, uh, surprisingly enough, uh, who think that apocalyptic civil war is around the corner. 
uh, the militia groups that have been around this country for some 20 years. Uh, most of them believe that too. Uh, and of course, the out-and-out white supremacists explicitly call for and work toward a race war. It's all the same ideas. Uh, you know, the, the ideas of this group, uh, the ideas of this group, the ideas of this movement, the idea of race war coming up and so on, uh, are ideas that have been percolating for quite a little while. Uh, you know, the kind of central idea of this movement today is the thought that uh, white people in this country, it's possible that black people and other minorities didn't have it so good back in the old days, but white people in this country, according to the radical right, uh, are the real victims now. They are the oppressed minority, although they're not actually a minority yet. Uh, they are being dispossessed. Uh, you know, and a part of this ideology is the idea that the people who are really making this possible, the people who are making it possible for America to be stolen from its rightful white heirs uh, are liberals, right? Antifa, liberals, the Democratic Party. And this is an idea that's grown very much over the last 40 or 50 years, uh, that the main enemy in society is not necessarily black people, even Jewish people, gay people, Muslims, immigrants, uh, the real evildoers, the people who are behind it all, uh, are the liberals, the people who would sell out their society, the people who say, uh, you know, uh, interracial marriages are okay, same-sex marriages are okay, that kind of thing. So this has become really a key, a key idea. Uh, you know, one of the groups, uh, the Oath Keepers, who were present uh, in Charlottesville, have described the country as being on the verge of a hot civil war. Uh, you know, so it's this whole idea of whites being replaced uh, by other people, whites, the rightful owners, leaders of the society. You're listening to Main Currents on WERU-FM. This is Mark Potok of the Center for Analysis of the Radical Right, formerly of the Southern Poverty Law Center, and also featured in the film Alt-Right Days of Rage, speaking in October. You know, I would not have said this uh, a few years ago. Uh, but at this point, we have very serious uh, uh, scholars, uh, commentators, uh, analysts uh, suggesting the possibility, and I, I don't want to overemphasize this, but the possibility that we're seeing the development uh, of real fascism, or at least some kind of version of fascism in this country. Now, you know, I, I don't think that, uh, you know, we're going to see fascism uh, like the 30s uh, around the corner. But uh, it is a fact that uh, democratic institutions, small d, uh, are under attack and are weakening in this country, that social norms that have kept this country together are weakening, uh, and that much of that weakening is coming out of the White House uh, and the Republican Party and other right-wing forces in this country. Uh, a senior fellow at the Carnegie Endowment for uh, International Peace uh, wrote an essay last month in which she concluded that America's democracy is ailing and its immune system is on life support. Uh, you know, and you think about what's happened, it follows a kind of classic pattern toward fascism. Uh, you know, first, uh, you know, you have underlying violence uh, and inequality, uh, discrimination in the society. Then you attack uh, the norms of civility. You politicize government institutions. You name an external enemy, immigrants, Mexicans, Muslims. Uh, and do dehumanize them. You attack the election system as something that's not real, fake news, as, as uh, some people would say. 
you know, that it's not real. You encourage violence and ultimately you turn that violence, as we have seen uh, recently, inward uh, towards internal enemies, minorities, Democrats, liberals, Black Lives Matter protesters, Antifa activists, sanctuary cities, and so on. Uh, you know, let us remember uh, that the president essentially endorsed Kyle Rittenhouse, uh, the 17-year-old kid who murdered uh, two protesters, two anti-police brutality protesters in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Uh, and also remember, uh, according to various uh, news reports, uh, that the Department of Homeland Security internally uh, was uh, telling people to push that idea as well, that Rittenhouse was a hero. Situation's bad. Uh, in the last four months, 50 different drivers have driven their cars into crowds of Black Lives Matter and other anti-police brutality protesters. 50 people. Uh, the violence at the center of this film that we're discussing uh, was the murder of one woman by one driver. So we've seen this spread uh, like wildfire. Uh, hate crimes against various minorities as well against whites uh, in the Trump era have gone up uh, dramatically. Uh, between 2014, the year before Trump started his campaign, and 2018, we saw hate crimes against Latinos go up against 62%, uh, against 37%, uh, they've gone up 37% against Jewish people, 24% against white people, 22% against Muslims, and 20% against uh, Black Americans, African Americans. You know, we are at a dangerous moment uh, and a dangerous crossroads. Uh, I'd just like to kind of wrap up by, uh, you know, thinking about the ways uh, that we might fight back about what, against what we are seeing, about, uh, against what our country uh, is in danger of becoming. Uh, I make the argument in the film, and I repeat it briefly here, that inoculation works better than quarantine. In other words, rather than trying to suppress these ideas uh, of white nationalism and so on, uh, trying to stop people from speaking on the radical right, it is far better uh, for us, the rest of the population, to educate ourselves about what these groups and individuals are really about. What are they really arguing for? To not allow them to make claims like, you know, we're just for peace, but the ethnic cleansing, uh, no big deal, uh, to point out what that is. So what I'm suggesting is that we need to listen to their ideas, learn about them, and confront them. Use critical thinking to confront these people uh, and to also uh, confront and unmask the enormous universe of conspiracy theories uh, and so-called fake news out there. Uh, you know, Antifa, uh, and in the, in the person of uh, Daryl Lamont Jenkins in this film, uh, is essentially, you know, the film kind of uh, positions Antifa on the left, uh, then on the right, you've got Richard Spencer on the radical right, um, you know, and I guess I'm kind of in the middle there someplace. Um, and, you know, what I would say is just that, you know, I don't think that uh, Antifa is, uh, uh, you know, a gang of terrorists at all. But, you know, uh, many people uh, in the anti-fascist movement uh, do think that, you know, we must confront uh, these neo-Nazis and others with violence. And I would just say that it's singularly ineffective that, you know, what, what that allowed uh, in recent months, for instance, was... Donald Trump, Fox News, uh, other forces like that, to describe uh, the protests against police brutality as some kind of terrorism and so on. Uh, and, and in effect, you know, what Antifa is arguing for, it's, it's the quarantine argument again, uh, in the sense that the, the kind of 
cardinal bottom line belief of the anti-fascist movement is no free speech for Nazis, right? We will not allow them to speak. And I'm suggesting that that's not the best way. It's not effective. Uh, it helps to create more people uh, who want to be a part of the movement uh, and so on. Um, I think that we, I said earlier, we have to confront falsehoods and conspiracy theories. Let's remember, for instance, in 2016, uh, you know, there was this idea, Pizzagate, right, that uh, Hillary Clinton was running a secret gang of uh, pedophiles and so on. And it ultimately uh, ended when uh, one particular believer in this theory showed up at Cosmic Pizza in Washington, D.C. and started shooting, didn't kill anybody, uh, was arrested and is now in prison and said kind of on his way uh, to prison, hmm, I guess the intel wasn't 100 percent on that. So, you know, that's the kind of thing that's got to be confronted because it leads directly uh, to people dying. Uh, I think we need to think about and understand where these ideas lead. As I tried to suggest at the beginning, there's no such thing as peaceful ethnic cleansing. There's no such thing uh, as a peaceful way for whites to have their own country uh, in the United States, a country where 120 million out of some 330 million people are people of color. Um, I think that we need to, uh, as a society, help people who are in this movement and who have come to the point where they want to leave, to leave. Uh, before Trump came into office, there were some very good programs, uh, so-called exit programs, aimed at helping people leave this movement, uh, and they were defunded by Trump uh, completely. Uh, I think that we need to help uh, our citizens in trouble, and going back to uh, some of the things I said about globalization, we need to help those sectors of our economy in real ways uh, to get back on their feet. Uh, you know, we need to deal with uh, all kinds of problems out there that are helping to drive this movement. And, you know, I just say as a final thought, maybe that, you know, we are facing very hard times. Uh, you know, climate change is going to create enormous pressures uh, on populations all around this world uh, of ours. Uh, and so, you know, all of that healthcare, uh, all of those things are things that have to be dealt with uh, if we are going to pull ourselves back to a better place. Uh, my very final thought uh, at this moment is vote, please. I think it's important. So with that, let me uh, take whatever questions there may be. And I'm sorry if I've gone on for a bit long here. Thank you, Mark. Uh, that was uh, very informative and interesting. Uh, I'm David Greenham. I'm the Associate Director at the Holocaust and Human Rights Center of Maine up in Augusta. And again, thank you so much for being here. Um, I, have a, I, have, I have sort of a two-part two question, if, if I may. Um, we know that, that anti-Semitism and racism are not new ideas. The, the new hate is the old hate. Uh, it was uh, probably less visible to many people, uh, you know, in the in the 1990s and and a little bit earlier. And then here in the 2000s, we've we've seen it grow. And I wonder, first of all, what what does it look like in the post Trump, post Proud Boys, post Richard Spencer, post post Stephen Miller? kind of world if that um if that comes you know sooner rather than later and and um uh i'm i'm inclined to think that that even though it's nice to think that those are the people to really blame for it i don't think it's a movement that 
scapegoating in certain individuals works. So my real question is, I, I wonder how much you connect these divides that exist to this profound economic uh, divide in this country that has grown substantially. There are so many people struggling and frightened, and it seems to me that's where some of this hopelessness leads to then scapegoating of Jews or people of color or whoever. Well, I mean, I agree with that. I, I think that, you know, and I, you probably wouldn't agree either, but, you know, I don't think that it's a, a direct and immediate relationship, right? You get poorer uh, and you become more radical. You go to the right. I mean, there have been many, obviously, historically, many moments in which people move to the left instead of to the right. Um, on the other hand, yes, as I, I think I sort of mentioned or alluded to earlier, you know, I think uh, these very large inequalities, income inequality and other inequalities that are growing in our society uh, do feed the rage that is out there. And, and I agree, you know, I talked a lot about Trump and various characters, but I think it's true. These are just figureheads at the top. They're feeding off uh, an enormous amount of anger uh, that is out there, uh, you know, in the population at large. Uh, so, you know, I don't mean to suggest, you know, I don't know if I really, I didn't mean to suggest or to scapegoat Trump or say that it's all him. I talk about him a lot because he's given an enormous amount of air he's, uh, to this movement. He's normalized uh, these ideas in a way that has allowed them to, you know, burst onto our TV screens and so on in a way that was unthinkable, you know, only 10 years ago. You know, post-Trump, uh, if Trump were to lose, I mean, I've made an argument elsewhere for whatever it's worth. Uh, that we are uh, at a crossroads at this moment, and that it is not so dissimilar, uh, for, at least in my own mind, uh, to where the United States was in the 1920s and the early 1930s. You know, we had enormous uh, socioeconomic cultural changes going on in the 1920s. Uh, you know, women getting the right to vote, rural areas being depopulated, uh, you know, industrialization, uh, tax on religion, the Scopes trial, you know, traditional morality, all kinds of things happening, sex out in the open uh, in a way uh, that had not been seen in this country. So huge changes uh, in the 20s and, and early 30s saw the development in the states of major uh, proto-fascist uh, groups and formations of various kinds, like German-American boom, but many others as well, the Silver Shirts and any number of others. Uh, you know, ultimately, uh, of course, came the Depression in 1929. Uh, you know, uh, Roosevelt was elected, uh, and he went in a very, very different direction and essentially built uh, the foundations of the welfare state in which we live today. Uh, after that, the United States went into the war, the Second World War, on the right side uh, and ultimately wound up fighting uh, against uh, fascism and anti-Semitism and racism, which is not to say, you know, that the 50s in the United States was some kind of, uh, you know, wonderful place. It had lots and lots of problems, but I am suggesting that, you know, we could have gone in a very different direction than we did uh, in the 1920s and 30s, and thank, thank goodness for that. So I think that we're in a place uh, that is not dissimilar from that. Uh, you know, I think it could get worse, uh, and it could get a lot worse, uh, but it could also get better. I mean, there are some very hopeful things out there. I think uh, the anti-police brutality protest, Black Lives Matter movement, uh, is remarkable. And not only because it's been active and in the news and, you know, uh, really out there, but because look at the enormous numbers of white people 
who are involved in that, right? This is not only black people uh, or people of color. So I think there's a lot to suggest that we could go in a better direction. You look at polling uh, of young people today, and the numbers are, are infinitesimal who, who are opposed to uh, interracial marriage, for instance, or even same-sex marriage. I mean, they're really tiny percentages. So that suggests that we're heading to a better place. Uh, you know, on the other hand, we have 25 years uh, to go in which this demographic change will continue. And that means certain things. That means more people of color, more immigrants, more people who aren't Christians uh, are going to be visible in the society, are going to be leaders, are going to win elections. Uh, you know, and that means some changes. I, I'm not suggesting that those are negative changes, but I'm suggesting that for some people, they seem very negative. So I, I don't know how well I've answered your question, but I feel like, you know, it all hangs in the balance. Uh, and that's why uh, this election in particular seems so important. I mean, it's, I'm certainly not the only one who has worried that another term uh, of this administration uh, could really uh, be disastrous. Abe. Thank you. Mark, uh, you know, I, I think when, when we talk about the United States and the issues that we're facing, I think we also have to factor in the fact that we do live in a globalized society in a globalized world. It strikes me that even though in this country, and it's, it's not entirely uh, a country that is safe from some of the incidents that have happened in Europe, but it seems that, you know, if it's not a left-wing attitude that, that seems to point to, to Jews as being in that same league as the alt-right to some degree, that Jews control so many things uh, and oftentimes are the wire pullers behind uh, other groups that are trying to gain their freedoms or are working uh, to overcome racial or, or economic uh, stereotypes. So what I'm wondering is, if we see some of those events, uh, maybe not as much in this country, especially since the right and the alt-right has become such a focus over the last few years, do you ever see a time when the the radicals on the left, and I don't know whether I, the, the BDS movement can be considered, you know, the, the radical left, but clearly on many, many college campuses, you do see an attitude in which Jews uh, and the state of Israel are intertwined and often there's no distinction made between the two. So what I'm wondering is, in the worst dystopian uh, image that you can come up with, is there any time or, or place where ideologies on the left and the right might converge on one thing, namely Jews and the state of Israel? Well, I guess it's possible. I don't really think so. I mean, look, what I would say generally is, yes, there is some anti-Semitism on the left, no question about it. And when you look at Europe and people like Jeremy Corbyn, it's much more explicit uh, and out uh, there. Uh, I think that um, basically, I think it's vastly overstated right now, the idea that the left is sort of rife with anti-Semitism uh, and so on. But there is some, uh, quite a fair amount. And, you know, this may not be exactly politically correct or whatever to point out, but there are very high levels of anti-Semitism, in particular in the African-American community. And, you know, this is a function of a number of things, but a part of it uh, is groups like the Nation of Islam, which, you know, I wouldn't really describe as, I mean, it's not a left-wing organization, but I think many people think of it as a left-wing organization. But, you know, the Nation of Islam is, I mean, I think it was Alice Walker who said, 
you know, very recently uh, that uh, Louis Farrakhan was the greatest of all time, G-O-A-T. I mean, an incredible statement for a guy who's just a screaming uh, anti-Semite. Uh, you know, and the Nation of Islam and other uh, groups like that have gotten the idea out there in the larger community, uh, in particular, that Jews ran the American slave trade, the transatlantic slave trade, a, a complete and utter falsehood. So to the extent that those ideas penetrate, you know, beyond the Nation of Islam um, into college and university campuses and so on, uh, yes, it's a danger. I, I mean, you know, I, I, it's a cliche, yeah. But I think it's also true uh, that, you know, if you live in Israel, uh, you are allowed to criticize Israel in a much more serious and severe way. And I've spent some time in Israel uh, than you are here. So I think there is a tendency, uh, and I don't want to go on about this, but, you know, to, to label everybody interested in the BDS movement as, you know, sort of an anti-Semite on the level of, of a Nazi. I, I, just, I just think that's false. That's not true and not... I think this the conflation of anti-Zionism uh, with anti-Semitism uh, is a very dangerous path to go down. So, you know, to answer your question, I, I guess I'm just trying to say yes, uh, there is that danger. Uh, but I think like many things at this moment, uh, it is uh, very overstated in many quarters. I mean, you hear all the time, again, on Fox News and venues like that, the idea that... Um, well, we've got this extreme right, and then we've got this extreme left, and they're equally bad people, uh, you know, the opposite of what Trump would say, very awful people on both sides. Uh, and, you know, as I said in the film, you know, I'm not denying in any way that there was a serious uh, and a violent yeah. uh, radical left in the 60s and 70s in this country, but it's just not so anymore. So it's a bit of a false equivalency. Uh, again, you know, uh, there is that danger. Uh, it's happened before. Uh, you know, we've seen... Uh, obviously, you know, the Communist Party in the Soviet Union became incredibly anti-Semitic, um, despite having been uh, led and formed uh, by a number of different Jews, you know, in, in part uh, early on. So it's always a real danger. You've been listening to Maine Currents, independent local news, views, and culture. I'm Amy Brown. The speaker today was Mark Potok of the Center for Analysis of the Radical Right and formerly of the Southern Poverty Law Center. He was also featured in the film Alt-Right Days of Rage. He spoke at an event in October sponsored by the Maine Jewish Film Festival, the Jewish Community Alliance, the Maine Jewish Museum, and the Holocaust and Human Rights Center of Maine. Barbara Merson was the moderator. You can catch Maine Currents here on WERU-FM on the first and third Tuesdays of every month at 4 p.m. Join us on the third Tuesday of this month for the Elections 2020 edition of Maine Currents. And keep it tuned here to your community radio station, WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, and streaming online at WERU.org.